In this audio recording, Derek Matravers, course author of Book 5, is talking to John Cottingham, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at the University of Reading, about Cartesian dualism. John, Descartes does not actually refer to himself as a dualist. So what do we mean by the term? Well, dualist suggests two, two things. And when they apply the label, they mean that Descartes had a theory that we human beings are composed of two substances. On the one hand, mind, and on the other, body. And by substances, Descartes meant things which can exist independently. So they're not, as it were, dependent on each other. If you lost your body, you would still be you. You, the mind, would still exist. So dualism, as used today, is the idea that there are these two radically different kinds of thing. There is consciousness, thought, feeling, willing, desiring, or all the things we include under conscious mental activity on the one hand. And on the other hand, there is body, whatever is material, extended in space, has mass, has volume, all the subject of physics. And according to Descartes, those are two radically different kinds of world, the world of the mind and the world of the body. Descartes sometimes talks of the mind as the soul. What are we supposed to make of that? Well, there are some complicated background to that, but actually Descartes tended to sweep away earlier complexities about the soul, and he used mind and soul more or less interchangeably. Both stood for this mental substance, this conscious thinking being. So he sometimes talks about the soul, l'âme in French or anima in Latin, and he sometimes talks about the mind, mens in Latin, or l'esprit in French. But these are really just linguistic variants on one idea, the conscious thinking self, the me, the I. So another word for it would be the self. Yes. And in, in his first published work, The Discourse on the Method, Descartes actually uses the phrase ce moi, this me, that is to say, the soul by which I am what I am. So whatever makes you, you, is, according to Descartes, this mental thing, the mind, the soul, the self, the me. The label, in a way, is not too important. Descartes is famous for two things, his methodological doubt, which he thought he could stop with his inference cogito ergo sum, and also his dualism, as you've just been explaining. Is there a connection between the two things, so, for example, does the one follow from the other? That's a very interesting question. The method of doubt he used as a kind of sieve or filter to filter out all dubious or questionable assumptions. All of us acquire lots of preconceived opinions from our parents, from our teachers, and Descartes was struck by how many of these turned out to be false. So to try and filter out the false ones, he, he uses the method of doubt, pushing doubt to its extreme, 
can I possibly find a way of doubting that? If I can, Descartes said, I should set it aside. For example, we might think that the sun goes round the earth, an example which was very prominent in his time because it was being questioned. Or to take an even more simple example, the table that I'm now sitting in front of, that seems absolutely clear that it exists, but I might be dreaming, in which case I'm not in a studio recording this, I'm at home in bed, my alarm clock hasn't gone off yet. So it's possible even to doubt that I'm sitting here. However, there's one thing we can't doubt, and or one thing I can't doubt, and that's that I'm thinking. Cogito, I am thinking. Why not? Because even if I doubt it, that itself shows I'm still thinking. Doubting is a, is a species of thinking. And if, therefore, I am thinking can't be doubted, there must be something that's doing the thinking. So I must exist. Something doing the thinking must exist. So that's the cogito ergo sum. I'm thinking, therefore I exist. Now, to come to the second part of your question, does Descartes' dualism follow from that? Well, Descartes does make that move from I am thinking, therefore I exist. He goes on to say, I am a thinking thing. I am a mind. Sum res cogitans in Latin. I am a thinking thing. But actually, it doesn't follow. And this is a big problem. Why doesn't it follow? Well, let's agree, I know I exist. That's absolutely indubitable. But what is the me? What's doing the thinking? What's doing the existing? It might be a biological creature, a, a bodily creature. In fact, most of us would say it surely is. It might be a brain, perhaps, or it might be me with my brain. So just from the fact I know I exist, it's not going to follow that I'm a, an incorporeal, immaterial thinking substance. So it's a very problematic move. What does Descartes mean by a clear and distinct understanding? Well, a clear understanding is something that's present to the attentive mind. It's just there in front of you, as it were. To be distinct is a bit richer, a bit more complicated. A distinct perception must contain nothing except what is clear. Now, many of our perceptions seem clear, but they perhaps have extra bits built into them that could be questioned. For example, I may say, I have a pain in my leg. That's clear. The, the pain is present, vividly present. But it's not distinct, Descartes would say, because it contains obscure elements. Do I know I have a leg? <laughs> I might be dreaming. I might have, been, might have had my leg amputated, so the pain that might not be in the leg itself. In fact, Descartes was an early pioneer of research into the phantom limb syndrome, you know, where someone's had a leg amputated but still complains of pain in the missing bit. So, although it's clear that I have pain, it's not, if I say I have a pain in my foot, let's say, it's not distinct. To be distinct, something must have nothing in it but what's clear. 
There it is, it's absolutely clear, and there's nothing in it. There are no, as it were, hidden assumptions. It's, it's there in front of you, and it, in front of you there is all you need to see that it must be true. How does Descartes argue for what he calls the real distinction between mind and body? Is there one particular move which is key? Real distinction, perhaps in modern English, sounds a bit vague, like there really is a distinction. Um, But in Descartes, it's quite technical. Uh, Real, realis in, in his original Latin, means that the two things, mind and body, are different rays, things, and by that he means different substances. So a real distinction between mind and body means that mind is a substance and body is a substance and they are completely independent. So, to give one example, he uses, you could exist without your body. You, the thinking thing, could lose your body, but you would still be you. Similarly, of course, body could exist without mind. I mean, we know that anyway. A table can exist without there being any consciousness. So the real distinction is just a way of referring to that substantial distinction between mind and body as two separate and independent substances. So, having argued that mind and body are distinct, doesn't Descartes face a problem with how they interact? So I'm thinking in particular of of causal interaction. So when I think that it's warm, something that happens in my mind, then my body takes off the jacket. Did Descartes face a problem in accounting for this? It was a problem, but he does address it. He discusses it in many places, but in particular in the sixth meditation in his Meditations of 1641. What he says there is that the mind is not just lodged in the body, like a sailor in a ship, but it's very closely intermingled with it, closely kind of infused or joined with it, so as to form a unit. Now, the problem you refer to, how can a a purely mental substance, causally interact with a physical substance, is indeed a problem. How can a ghost make a machine move? And, as you know, the label ghost in the machine is often used to to describe Descartes' dualism. But actually what Descartes says is that I'm not really like... What he implies, I should say, is that I'm not really like a ghost... Um, trying to move around a mechanical structure of the body. Rather, I'm, I'm intermingled with the body. I'm, it's almost like a, an organic, though he doesn't use that word, almost like an organic unity. And the sign of this unity is feelings. If I put my foot in the fire, I will feel a sharp pain. Now, that's a a psychophysical event. There's physical stuff going on in the foot, in the nervous system, in the brain, and then there's mental stuff going on, the the feeling of pain. And the two, in a certain way, are, are almost inseparable. One follows immediately on the other. So the feelings, the emotions, the passions, these are for Descartes all signs of our embodiment, 
We are not just angels inhabiting bodies. We are not just ghosts in the machine. We are feeling, sensing creatures. So that's his view. Whether he can make it compatible with his official mind-body dualism, which we started with, is another question. But my own view is that he can. Consider this analogy. It's not Descartes. Hydrogen and oxygen are really different elements. But they can be fused together in water, and water is a genuine compound in its own right. And what is more, water has properties which aren't properties of hydrogen, nor are they properties of oxygen. So when the compound comes into existence, there are, as it were, new properties, watery properties. And I think Descartes would have said the same about the feelings and emotions and passions and sensations that come into existence when mind is joined to body. Thank you very much. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.